Hey, moms and daughters of the world. Word on the street is there's a new popular podcast in town, and the teen TV drama mamas, Angie and Dr. Nikki, have been spotted on many platforms. And I don't mean in Grand Central Station. They've been talking trash behind all of our favorite celebrities' backs and teaching them some important lessons. Join the mom and daughter party for mind-blowing insights into the psyche of those badly behaved teen characters we know and love. You'll discover a fresh new way to approach stressful problems so you can have more fun and connection than you ever dreamed possible. XOXO, love the teen TV drama mamas. Mwah! So welcome back. Here we are, Nikki and Angie, back on the couch watching Gossip Girl and with all the questions that relate to your own life. So not just diving into these characters, but really being able to apply some of what we see here. How does it feel when you get back together with your ex and you're feeling good about things and your best friend? doesn't want you to get back together with your ex and everyone keeps bringing up the past and not accepting your relationship again with all the jealousy we get to talk about on every episode we have the first day of school and feeling judged by the popular crowd so let's talk about all the things Nikki what did you notice in this (laughs) now that we're Here in season two, we're on episode three and four today. Yeah, there is so much going on and so much to unpack in this, in these particular episodes. So I I just want to like encourage people go and sit on the couch with a cup of hot chocolate and maybe some popcorn. If you like hot chocolate and popcorn together, I'm totally into like pretzels, but, and watch these episodes together and then go through it and listen and, and see if you come up with those same ideas. So what do, what do I think is going on? I mean, the first thing that I noticed, you know, especially with episode three was that Blair and Marcus aren't intimate. And so I know that you were talking about friends and whether they're jealous or not jealous, but I just thought that was really interesting how not intimate they were. And and I wasn't sure what was going on. Did I trust Marcus that he didn't want to be intimate because he really liked Blair that much? Or did he have some secret that he was hiding, like the secret that he's a Lord or whatever else going on? And I'm assuming since it's Gossip Girl, it was probably a secret. What do you think? <laughs> right. Yeah. When someone comes into your life and with and then reveals that they've been speaking in a fake accent to you and lying about <laughs> their name... Right. We can assume there might be some more secrets coming up. (laughs) If you're, if you're in a relationship with someone who met you on the pretense of a false accent. Um, right. So exactly. It's a little suspicious and we're wondering why Blair is not. uh, Yeah. What's going on with that? And also, is she still, uh, does she still have feelings for Chuck? Is she holding back in some way? Is she just there for the title? Does she have any interest in who Marcus is? What is she just using Marcus to make Chuck jealous or to avoid her own feelings of rejection because Chuck sort of left her in the dust? 
So yeah, I, I think that for Blair, Blair has a really nice roadmap of what she wants somehow in her life, whether it's going to happen that way or not, we're not sure. But that whole idea about Blair wanting to be a princess and this is kind of fulfilling her little princess fantasies. So the fact that she's calling him my Lord or Lord is just really fascinating to me, but clearly she still has feelings for Chuck. Now Chuck clearly has feelings for her too, and he can't seem to get it up with anybody else or have sex with anybody else, even though he continues to try and figure it out. And so he's got this elaborate plan to somehow piggyback on the idea that Blair is not being satisfied by Marcus, how he knows this, I don't know, and then coerce her and somehow trick her into having sex with him so that he could somehow prove his manhood in a way. So that, that kind of like begs the first question, like, do guys have to be able to perform or have sex in order to feel like they're okay? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a whole other question what is going on with chuck and is it only coming out for chuck as a physical reaction because he is so avoidant of his emotions because he is so good at holding his emotions back and not admitting that he's sad or he's hurt or he's insecure and so when you hold on to something that tightly and you don't cry or you don't tell a friend I feel hurt or I feel upset or you don't say that to yourself out loud sometimes it comes out in a physical reaction in our body so Nikki I'm sure you can speak more about this as a as a doctor so he is so unwilling to recognize that his body's physical reaction could be a sign of something emotional, right? He's just in total denial when Serena suggests, well, I know why that's happening to you. He just doesn't want to think that there would be anything mental or emotional there that he could care about Blair. Totally agree with you. I think that often we kind of separate the mental, emotional and the physical, somehow believing that they are separate entities. And it's completely not true, especially related to intimacy, closeness and sex. So it it makes sense that he does have those strong feelings for Blair, which terrify him clearly, and he won't be able to perform physically. And for a guy that generally doesn't have a lot of feelings for the people that he's necessarily having sex with. That's a big deal for him because that that's how he, I think measures whether he's okay or not. Like, honestly, I think he doesn't think he's okay. Mm -hmm. Like physically and maybe emotionally, I don't even know, but you know, he just believes that somehow if he cleans out his pipe somehow with the person that's able to do that, everything will be business as usual. Or it's at least a distraction for him. Like we see he's using drugs. If he's like in that moment with some other woman or some other distraction, he doesn't have to hear his own mind thinking about what he wants or cares about or values or Blair, or he can just kind of live in his world of escape and distraction. I, and then I we lo- see love that how you said that. <laughs> yeah, hear his own mind. Like he did, he's trying to outrun his own mind. Mm-hmm. You're totally right about that. Yeah. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Um, no, I think well, that's a good point because we see everyone doing that, trying to avoid their own mind. You're trying to deny the feelings that you have. So we have 
Vanessa is likes Nate and she's trying not to. We have I've made like a list of how many people are <laughs> pretending they don't like each other. Blair does like Chuck and pretending she doesn't. Chuck likes Blair and pretending she doesn't. Now we have Serena and Dan who are madly in love with each other and trying to push that aside and pretend that they're not madly in love with each other. And so this is obviously <laughs> something that happens to everyone on the show and maybe to um, those of us in the real world, right? Like, do we, do we ever feel like love and affection for someone? And then we try to hide that to protect ourselves or to avoid rejection and probably a lot in high school and college we do that wondering if we're going to be worthy if someone will return our affection so we pretend yeah. we're not I think we do that all the time like mm -hmm. it's almost like we're not willing to put ourselves out there or put our heart out there if we're not absolutely 100% sure that somebody is going to return the feelings or the sentiments. And so it makes us not take risks or mm -hmm. it makes us not really go after what we want to go after, just feeling like we're worried about being rejected or, you know, humiliated or whatever the feeling is related to that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And we yeah. saw like Vanessa was, was sitting there waiting and kind of felt like she got stood up. And then she says, I don't want to, I'm scared to look desperate. Um, and so it's like, how much effort do you put in? Do you send in, do you send for a person one text that says like, Hey, do you want to meet up? And if they say no once, then you just decide, no, they hate me. I'm never reaching out to them again. Do you put yourself out there twice? And then you feel rejected if someone says no to meeting you twice. So each person can just kind of check in with yourself. How willing are you to put yourself out there or to even go further and say, look, I really like you. I'm asking you for coffee because I think we could, would get along great. I really want to go out with you. Like I'm interested in creating something here. Would you be able to say that to someone not knowing what their response would, would be? And would that be okay? Oh. Yeah, I think if you don't completely make it about yourself and what the re reaction is, so if somebody says no or no, I can't do it, if it immediately comes back to where you feel you're not lovable or not wanted or whatever, then you're never going to put yourself out there. But if you could honestly believe the wonderful things about yourself, and if they say no, it really doesn't have that much to do with you at that point, because they probably... At that point don't know you that well they hadn't gotten the opportunity to know you that well right or on this now that you're saying that it's making me think of the Rufus Serena's mom and Rufus it's Lily and Rufus interaction where Lily comes over she's he says what are you doing here she says I need a friend I'm lonely and he says, you know, I can't be your friend. I'm sorry. And in that case, we know he loves and adores Lily. It doesn't mean that Lily's terrible or he doesn't like her. Or he doesn't want to be around her. Someone can say no and have their own reasons for saying no. And in this case, Rufus has to set that boundary. He's dating someone new. He knows he can fall back into Lily, fall back in love easily he's still half in love with her now and so he's setting that boundary so it really proves the point that when someone rejects you it's 
not about you. It doesn't mean you're not worthy or you're a bad person or they don't care about you. They, you might get rejected, but remembering that you're worthy no matter what, it might be something that they're thinking or they want to set that boundary for another reason. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you say that too, because I'm also thinking that it would be really great to get really good at rejection because if you're going to try to do lots of different things in your life, you'll at some point have somebody either who's going to say no to you for whatever reason, whether it be love, whether it be work, whether it be school, whether it be performing, whatever it is, and people are going to say no. And I think that how good you get at people saying no to you without taking it personally and crawling into a deep, dark hole, but still moving on and remembering something about yourself is probably how well you're going to set up your life the way you want to set it up. Oh, that's an interesting point. So that made me think about Chuck, who is always kind of flirting or making comments to Serena, who's always shooting him down, but to he's not feeling rejection or in it's almost like a joke. He's saying those things to Serena to sound kind of sleazy or whatever his purpose is, but he's not feeling any rejection of being shot down. He just keeps making the comments over and over again every it's week. So, and do you think it's because Chuck, like, so why does Chuck do that? Like, he doesn't do it because he feels so great about himself. If anything, he's not showing us very much, but he does believe something about his ability to get what he wants. That's for sure. Yeah. But I think if it was Blair rejecting him all the time, that would be hurtful to him or he doesn't make as many, he does make those comments to Blair, but I think his expectation is like, Serena's going to turn him down. This is just the way they interact. It's not even, it doesn't phase him at all that she says, ew, Chuck, gross. No, stop. Like, forget it. Um, he just expects that, at it, that response and it, it doesn't impact him at all. Right. But there's like a bit of a narcissistic sadomasochist thing going on with him. Like, I don't, I don't think that that I, I mean, maybe that's his version of being insecure or whatever it is that he just lets things wash over him and doesn't allow himself to show that he's feeling anything about it. But it feels a little bit different than feeling scared to be rejected because I'm insecure and that he's doing this because he's not insecure. I mean, maybe he's, you know, he expects that he's going to be able to do that. He's got whatever privilege he has being or that's male or fake you know. persona. As long as everyone mm. sees him as the like sex driven sleaze bag, then nobody can look too deeply and see him as like an insecure person. So he just like owns that, that idea of being a you know, young, I don't know, playboy. And that that's what he tries to operate as all the time. Right. So that's the identity that he's created for mm -hmm. himself in order to protect him showing and feeling deeper emotions and possibly getting rejected. If you look like you don't care the way he does, then he can't obviously get rejected, but, mm -hmm. but he does feel bad because now he's trying to 
have sex with a lot of people that he can't actually have sex with at Mm -hmm. the moment. So there's something going on. That's gonna, that's gonna show up for Chuck at some point, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. When the emotions don't register, the body starts to shut down. (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. That is so true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about something else, that idea about loving somebody and not necessarily having to be together with them. So I hear a lot of people in relationships that tend to be not good for them, whether it be somewhat manipulative or people are somewhat abusive. And usually when I speak to somebody, they'll say, no, but I love him or they love me. So can you love somebody and still know that you shouldn't be together. And I think that's probably true about what's happening with Dan and Serena, that -hmm. they are consistently having that same fight where both of them almost want each other to be somebody different or or think that they should be somebody different or they're from different worlds and they can't relate or whatever it is. And they love each other, but is love enough? And I think about that all the time. Um, I, that's such a good point because that is everyone's response, right? Like, well, we're together because, because I love this person as if it's just out of your control. Well, I love them. That's why I have to put up with X, Y, and Z, or that's why I won't leave this. And it's like, is love enough? To what, what does love mean? Like, what is the definition of love? Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> I have no. Is it a need? Is it a want? Is it a desire? Is it only sexual? Is it somebody you can count on? Like, like I think everybody's definition of what love is is so broad and so yeah. different. So That's I'm so never true, sure. Right? There's some people who are just thinking, yeah, it means security, and someone else is thinking it just it means commitment forever no matter what someone else is thinking it means like passion like I'm head over heels you know butterflies in my stomach love so it's interesting to think about defining your own what does love mean to me Mm. and then think about your partner or your parent or your sibling what does love mean to them it's going to be a different answer. I think you're so right about that, that it, it's a different answer for each one. Mm-hmm. And when you give yourself that answer and figure that out, you still get to decide whether it makes sense to be together with that person or not. Right. I mean, and maybe that's part of why it's it's fun to watch this show, right? We can see the background uh, and we know that Serena loves Dan. We know that Chuck loves Blair um, in their own way, has some feeling of affection and caring for that other person. And then we see them treating each other terribly. We see Serena being really mean to Dan, Dan being mean to Serena he asked another girl out the first day that they broke up and she said Dan come on that hurt me of course I understand we broke up but you don't ask another girl out on a date the very next day so so love does not necessarily mean that we don't hurt that person or that we hopefully we wouldn't intentionally hurt that person but probably we end up hurting someone we love at some point in life. 
I know I have. So. Yeah, definitely. So it doesn't mean love does not mean someone who never makes a mistake and never hurts me in some way. Right. So I think that there's a spectrum of it. So people will make mistakes. They'll be human. They'll do things Mm -hmm. that bother you or upset you or somehow feel hurtful for you, whether it's intentional or not intentional. But then there's people that actually are not good for your own growth and evolution or people Mm -hmm. that are somewhat abusive to you. And I think you get to decide that even if you put that definition of love or what you've decided love is, that you still have the opportunity to decide whether you want to be together or not, Mm -hmm. and that you're not forced to actually be with anybody that you don't choose to be with, or that you feel doesn't isn't somebody who you're interested in being with in the future or, or for whatever reason you want. It doesn't even have to be a specific reason. Things like don't have to blow up in order for you to not want to be with them. You just might not want to that particular thing for your future or whatever it is. And and Nikki, that message alone, I wish we just like had that message in the world. Everyone should be reminded of that once a month, especially when you're young. Yes. (laughs) Just remembering you don't have to be stuck and you can make a different choice and noticing all the time, is this relationship good for me? Healthy for me? Am I growing in this? Is, are we supportive of one another? Because however we define love could be different, but really being able to notice when something is healthy and supportive and, you know, forgiving and, and generous and considerate is, we can look at that and make those assessments, which might be more helpful than analyzing love. Am I in love? Yeah, I'm in love. Okay, we'll just keep going. That's not necessarily the best way to <laughs> decide if your relationship is worthwhile and should continue. I, I love that idea about checking in with yourself once a month because we often don't check in with with ourselves intentionally at all. Maybe there's a lot that you're thinking about all the time, up and down, up and down, but to really like intentionally check in. And what would it be like to intentionally check in with the person you're involved with, Mm. whether it be your, your significant other, or whether it be a parent or sibling, like what, or a friend even, what would it be like to check in and say, Hey, what's going on with our friendship? Why don't we take a few minutes each? and talk a little bit about, you know, what we're happy about, what's been hard for us in this relationship, how it might be different, so on and so forth. Like, I think that we can actually do that. And if we give our each other equal time and realize that we're just kind of working on growing as best as we can, as opposed to something being personal, we could have those conversations. That's so smart. I just don't think we hear that mess. I did not hear this message growing up very often or as um, an instruction. I felt like school and life and college really focused on, you know, figuring out how finding cosine, cosine and sine <laughs> ways. Like, I mean, there were things that I spent my time and energy figuring out and no one was explaining how to build a relationship, check in a seat, check in with yourself on what's working and what's not check in with your friends, uh, ask your partner what's working and what's not. We just haven't learned these skills to 
to build healthy relationships and not to say that it the answers would always be helpful. I think my husband and I have been married for many years. Same with you, Nikki, right? So over the years, if I think back to if we had checked in every month, there, there would be months where our responses were not like, this is wonderful and everything is great and you're doing everything right. So there will be time with of frustration and recognizing how you want to work through this. But checking in, that itself is, it's a brilliant message and idea. And we should all probably be doing more of that in our relationships. I at so any age. agree. At every age, I kind of, I developed this thing called the shared 10 that I do with my husband. And uh-huh. when I'm feeling really frustrated or really upset or whatever, I'll put the timer on and I'll get to talk about what's been difficult about the relationship, where things have been hard. And then he'll just listen and reflect it back to me. And then we'll turn the timer for him to talk and he'll be able to share for the five minutes what's been difficult for him, what he'd like to see happen in his life, how he'd like to grow himself in the relationship. And then I'll reflect back what I see. And then we'll decide, do we need to do it again? You know, another five minutes or not. Usually after the second group of five minutes, things are, are much clearer about what we want, but we hadn't taken it personally. And then at the end, we say something that we really appreciate about each other so that we're always bringing it back to that. But that's been so helpful because I, it's a specific time to listen to each other, say what it is that you want to say related to the relationship, related to yourself, related to how you want to grow as a person, and then know that the other person is hearing by reflecting back. And that you can do is, any amount of time. Okay. That is so great. This is a, I love talking to you just for personally finding out um, these tips and tricks, but yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that and just coming up with these ideas. And this is what this is for, right? This is a space to open up these conversations and have these talks. Do you ever do that with your teenagers? I don't do them with my teenagers as much because I don't feel like I want them to have to take care of my feelings in some ways. I think there's a way that I'd have to figure out how to do it with them. I do a lot of listening to them and paying one way attention or time to what they're thinking and just being curious and somewhat silly. But I think that it probably would make sense to do that, but they might not have to listen to me quite as long as I would listen to them. Right. Yeah, right. the timing could yeah. be different. That's a good. Oh, yeah, so that's maybe really they'll fun. listen to me okay, for a minute I love or two. That idea. Yeah, definitely a possibility. But but I also don't want to lay anything on them where they're going to feel like they have to take care of me in a certain way. Like I do think it's my job as as the adult at this point to be able to manage my own feelings and take care of them and not have them have to manage my worries so that they go like much more inward and not Mm -hmm. share things with me because I want them to share fully. And if they think that I'm going to sit around worrying or be scared or whatever it is, then they won't. Yes. Yeah. That's so true. They're going to share their responses based off what we as parents are going to, how we're going to react or how they have seen us react in the past. So True, true, true. I mean, that's why, that's why I lied as a kid. I don't know if you did some good lying or not, but if I could get away with it, you know, one time out of a hundred, it was worth it to me. Cause I always knew what the reaction would be. Now, if I got a different reaction, maybe I wouldn't lie so much, but I thought it was pretty brilliant of me to lie. Now, nobody thought that was good, but I'm not. Well, to bring that, that, 
this brings up the next thing I was going to talk about in our um in our episodes. We see like Serena gets hurt and then completely regresses into her I guess what we assume is how she was before she's kind and thoughtful Serena. Now we have apex predator queen of the popular girls, um, you know, kind of aloof Serena who just walks in cold. She's isolated Dan. She's in charge of the girl groupies and she's running this. So do we all, do you think Nikki, that when we are hurt, do we like regress? Do we go back? I kind of, I see myself do this with my parents when I'm spending time with my parents where I kind of have like teenager reactions that I saw in myself when I was a teenager and handle myself more uh, as a teenager when I'm with them. Do, do we all regress into our old patterns when we're, is that a I think, I think we're, we're always triggered in the same exact way, unless we really work on it very specifically. I think the other thing is that there's something that I call frozen needs where we're trying to get our parents to act towards us in the ways that they should have when we were young, either kinder, gentler, talking, listening, whatever it was that we want. And so wherever our frozen need had gotten stuck about what we needed and wanted, every time they act in the way that triggers that frozen need, we get all like mopey whiny and back to that age of whatever it is. But, but I realized that those needs are never met because our parents really believe that they did the best that they could. They also have changed history and history for us looks different. I don't even know if historically it happened exactly the way that we envisioned it happening. I have to say one thing, you used the word apex predator and that was so awesome. Like apex predator about Serena. That was amazing. What Nikki, have you seen Mean Girls? It's the um it's from the Mean Girls musical. They have the song Apex Predator and Regina George is the apex predator. So it's oh, all I didn't about see the, the Mean musical. Girls popular. Yeah, I, I definitely, I never saw the musical. I love the movie though. And so when those little plastics, as I call yeah. them, came up to Dan and Serena in the park in Central Park and said, you know, I can't believe that you went back with him or whatever it was. Yeah. I just thought that was hysterical, but that definitely brought me back to a Mean Girl moment. That's for sure. And I love that movie. <laughs> me too. Yeah, Mean Girls is a great one. Another one, another great mother and daughter movie to kind of watch and and digest and unpack all of the um, personalities there. And I loved how the it's the homeschool girl who comes from Africa, who sees everything. She's grown up in Africa, observing the predator world and the, the hierarchy in, um, you know, within the animal kingdom. And then when she's in high school, all of how she sees it's all exactly the same as the the animal predator kingdom. It really is like the top of the uh, top of the crowd there. Yeah, no, very interesting. We should definitely watch that movie. And if you guys have any suggestions for movies that you would like us to watch and also do a podcast on so that you we could all have this conversation together 
please get in touch with us and oh, yeah. we will totally watch that happily. Actually, this is so much fun for me to sit on the couch and watch Gossip Girl. I told my husband the other day, I'm like, I have to do my work. I'm going to watch Gossip Girl. And I watched two episodes of it and I watched the same episode twice. So I was just like loving it. That's so funny. I watched twice too. And I am like that too. I'm like, I have to get this done. It's like on my to-do list. It right, says right, right. watch up girl, watch gossip girl. And it's, it's so, such a hard it's, when I look for at us to sit on the list couch of what I've got to get done on the calendar. Must <laughs> <Yes>. watch. <Yeah. laughs> Must watch gossip girl as you guys should too, because when you're sitting down with your cocoa and popcorn or pretzels, you can watch yes. gossip girl too. And really work like it's, it's hard work. And we're just, we're working so hard watching that gossip girl. Well, Don't in this episode, it, w- it was very mean girls in episode four, because we had the first day of school and Blair's system to choose girls. Jenny described it as you choose you, you're either a project or you're a victim. And then we have it as, you know, a kind of an overblown situation where everyone's bringing forward their notebook or profile for analysts for and. <laughs> For analyzing by Blair to determine whether they'll be a project or a victim. Yes. But we had talked about that a little bit before the the mean girl situation in school and someone just deciding that you're not going to be part of this crowd and how that can impact your whole school life. Yeah, definitely. Especially because people really don't have the interest or opportunity to know you. Like I was amazed thinking back to high school because I I think it's like my 40th reunion coming up. I can't believe that it's my 40th reunion coming up. And all of a sudden people are remembering things about me that I was absolutely sure that they had no idea about, like ways in which they thought I was nice or that I was kind. And I was like, I don't think anybody knew me. Like I had no idea whether anybody knew anything about me. And I'm not sure whether we get to truly know somebody or do we make judgments about them and decide whether we want to be friends with them or not. Right. Yeah. Or they had that impression of you, something about that they saw you do or some interaction made them remember you you being kind or you being inquisitive or whatever, what, whatever category they, or whatever quality they recognized in you. And then you kind of feeling like maybe no one noticed that. I think that's pretty common, right? We all kind of exist in our world and don't know for sure the impression that we're making. We don't, we can't read in to see what is happening in other people's minds. So they could all be thinking that we're wonderful and amazing, but we don't know that for sure. (laughs) So we might just assume that nobody thinks we're wonderful and amazing. Yeah, Uh, that's that is so true. I, I realized definitely later in life that there was no throwaway behavior. And it, it, I mean, it's happened all the time, meaning that almost everything I do has an impact no matter what. And there was this one guy who got in touch with me who I knew when I was like eight years old. And I think he was six and we lived in the same neighborhood in the Bronx. And he said, you were the only one that was kind to me. And it made such a difference. He got in touch with me by Facebook. Wow. And I didn't even remember who this person was, 
But that little act of whatever I did made a difference in that person's life that I didn't even know about until 40 years later. And I thought that was so interesting where we don't have any throwaway behavior that everything we do actually can make an impact. We just don't believe it does because we are kind of stuck feeling like we're, we're in a, a little, a little closet of who we are in our identity mm-hmm. or whatever it is, but it's just, it's just not completely true. It's not the whole picture. What a good story. I love that, Nikki. Yeah. So thinking about that, the small things that we do in the world, the interactions that we have, uh, the smiles that we share with someone, the, the helpful, little helpful things that we do for each other that might really make someone stay or change the, change their attitude in that moment. So, yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah. So do most people have a checklist when it comes to who they date or hang out with? I was thinking about that. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess people do people ask, you know, what, what's your type or what do you look for in a person? And then people's list is somebody intelligent or somebody, I don't know, somebody who works out or whatever is on people's list. I don't know. Do people have a list? I mean, Blair clearly does. She didn't want to take that girl into the project portion because she summered in the Adirondacks as opposed to like in the Hamptons or maybe some place in Europe. I have no idea. The Adirondacks are just mountains in upstate New York. And (laughs) they're, they're not quite as... As, as hoity-toity is that a word <laughs> at the Hamptons yeah that wasn't that wasn't acceptable on Blair's list I guess um <laughs> and do we have that for as friendships too do we have and maybe it's not obviously none of us are living our life as Blair and have a deliberate list but maybe it's not intentional and we aren't really recognizing who we're aiming for Mm. as our friendships that's a good question to ask everyone right like who what is your list of qualities that you look for in your relationships whether it be friendship or a romantic relationship or or even do you want to be intentional about what your list is so Mm. if you don't have an intentional list and it's somehow related to how you perceive somebody or what their status is. And maybe you do want somebody in your life who's got a good sense of humor or who likes music or whoever, you know, even in high school or junior high, like, I don't think that we have an intentional thought process about who we want to be friends with. Now you kind of click and get along and that's great, but there are probably lots of other people around who you just don't know yet, or who might be a little bit more introverted or a little shyer or whatever. So having an intention or on the other side of it, sometimes because we move often. So I'm usually in a new crowd and I'll meet someone initially and think "Mm, we don't have a lot in common. Like that's probably not a great friendship there. You know, it was a little awkward or I don't think we line up. And then I do end up becoming great friends with that person. So 
I definitely don't have that first impression radar thing that some people have where they say, I knew instantly. I I sometimes am in unexpected friendships that I thought, wow, I didn't know we would get along so well. The first few times we hung out, it was boring or it wasn't, it didn't seem like we were going to click. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's an interesting thing to look at. Do you have an intentional list of people or are you sometimes drawn into unexpected friendships and relationships and yes and then maybe you do have qualities that you were thinking about but you didn't realize those qualities in this person or yeah no I'm I'm I so agree with you there's so much more in this episode and I don't know if we can get through it all like the idea that Marcus was sleeping with his stepmother and and the way in which they caught it and how they were gonna manipulate her so that she wouldn't somehow manipulate Nate anymore like there is so much to unpack here and I I just I don't think we can get through all of it but I do believe that the conversations that we're having will help you see very clearly how you'd like to make your way through relationships and through what it is that you're watching. Mm -hmm. So feel free to come up with more discussion yourselves. And I invite you to really talk about whether it makes sense to you or not. Like even, even if it's outrageous, you know, whether somehow there's a small piece of it that rings to whatever you've been through before or something that you've experienced. Yeah. That's, I mean, I love this. I hope, I think all the time, like surely there's no one in the world out there who, whose stepmother duchess, they're also sleeping with while dating someone in high school. Like these situations are just so absurd, but we all do struggle with, the, with something manipulative or someone treating us in a way that might be manipulative. And how do you face that? So these silly overblown episodes can be a fun way to to have these discussions and and figure that stuff out for for all of us listening. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Just a quick thing on, you know, Catherine or the Duchess and Nate, though, is that it does seem like somebody who is older that can manipulate somebody who's younger. And I think that does happen. And we had spoken about that before, not only with older or younger, but somebody with more money or less money or somebody with yeah. a position of power or not a position power, of power at right. work or whatever it is. Or so, so the manipulation and the feeling like you can't get out of something is always there. And she makes that very clear. So the thing about Gossip Girl is that I think they make things so apparent that you can't, you, you, you you'd like bump your face into it. Like there's no way that there's anything subtle about what's going on here, but there are real life situations that seem similar and can play out in some ways similarly. Mm-hmm. So exactly. Be aware. Ah, well, thanks for talking it through Nikki. Yeah. I'm so glad we get to do this every week. So please everybody, I invite you to like, rate, review, and share. We're coming out with workbooks. We're setting this up so that you guys can have a close and connected relationship with more joy than you can imagine and more conversation and less yelling and fighting. What more do you want? A joyous home life. Yay. 
Yeah, we all want less yelling and fighting, more connection. Yeah, totally. Awesome. All right. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, everyone.